Let's take a journey back to 2003. Canadian teen sensation Avril Lavigne was topping the charts and turning the music industry upside down. But what if I told you that the Avril Lavigne we know and love might not be the same Avril? What? Did Avril die? Was she replaced by a doppelganger? I'm Joanne McNally and I'm doing a deep dive into a notorious internet conspiracy. Who replaced Avril Lavigne? Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. We are committed to working uh, with partners in the region and around the world towards an enduring two-state solution. Canada is committed to ensuring that Israelis and Palestinians get to live in peace and security within internationally recognized borders uh, in peaceful and successful uh, states. This week, Canada voted in favor of a United Nations resolution calling for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas war. It is just one of the incredibly fractious issues that politicians in this country have grappled with this year. And as the end of the parliamentary sitting nears, we have convened our national affairs panel. Joining us today, Catherine Cullen, the host of CBC Radio's The House, Shannon Proudfoot, feature writer for The Globe and Mail in Ottawa, and Ryan Tumulty, who is a parliamentary reporter in Ottawa for The National Post. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Hi there. Catherine, let's start with what's going on with the Middle East. There was this vote at the United Nations, but also a statement that Canada made alongside New Zealand and Australia calling for a ceasefire, but also calling for the release of all hostages by Hamas. There have been calls since this war started for Canada to call broadly for a ceasefire. Why did the Liberals seem to change their stance now? Well, I think we uh, should look first at what the government said and then at the forces that are playing out on them. So publicly, what Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie said was, we looked at the humanitarian pauses as, as they had ended. We took stock of what was happening in Israel, in the Middle East. We saw the thousands upon thousands of deaths in Gaza, and we concluded that the only way to achieve a lasting peace was a ceasefire. But you have to note this conflict has been going on for more than two months, and this is a word that the Liberals had not uttered until this moment. Mm-hmm. So I think some of the pressures at play uh, were obviously a part of this. Internationally, we heard U.S. President Joe Biden say that Israel is losing support. We know Canada put out that statement, as you said. Matt, and I think it's a very important part of this story with Australia and New Zealand, a joint statement that had uh, more context and uh, certainly more nuance than that UN vote that put a lot of the responsibility on Hamas, calling on Hamas to lay down its arms, release the hostages. I think for many in the Liberal Party, that statement was something that a lot of people could get behind. But many, uh, or at least certainly some MPs have come out since and said uh, the language of the UN resolution, which did not put that same kind of responsibility on Hamas, is something that they are struggling with or simply cannot support. Now, layered on top of all of this, it's not just the tension in the caucus, mm. but obviously the public pressure in Canada around this. Uh, and we know our colleague uh, Rafi Bujikanian reported that there are also creating financial issues as well, a group of Muslim donors who pulled their support from the Liberals over this issue. So I think the government has been feeling incredible pressure and obviously also looking at the um, the rising death toll and, and decided that this was the moment that they were going to make what is a significant shift. We've made, uh, I should say, numerous requests to speak with Melanie Jolie, the Minister of Foreign Affairs, to try to understand the government's position on this war. That conversation has yet to happen. Um, Shannon, from your perspective, what makes this such a difficult issue for the party, for the Liberals to, to grapple with? Um, in the early sort of weeks of, of this war and the response to it domestically, a lot of the stories 
I think, focused on sort of domestic politics and and the fact that there was that that letter about two weeks in that was signed by, I think, two dozen Liberal MPs and then a number of their colleagues calling for a ceasefire then. And at the time, the government was not speaking that language and was not engaging with that. But at the time, a lot of the focus on that was about, is there dissent in the ranks? And the reality is, like I always thought that was a sort of unhelpful way to frame it, because this is an issue that people feel very, very deeply. I mean, if, if your neighbours and if people on the streets feel this very deeply and have very different deeply held opinions about it. Of course, MPs do too. They're people. And so I, I think that the fracture there just reflects a broader one in society. But um, this is a really significant shift. Canada has a history of of backing Israel very, very strongly. Um, they Canada abstained back in October from another motion at the UN uh, calling for a humanitarian truce. So that was their way of sort of stepping back from that. And and I think this does reflect the, the mounting death toll, the mounting um, sort of horror and worry about the, the plight of Palestinians and about people sort of caught in this. And the, the nuance that was added by that statement that Canada put out with Australia and New Zealand mm-hmm. was something that, that a lot of people were looking for because um, the, the very staunch criticism of the UN resolution seems to be that it's it's too blunt an instrument, that it simply calls for a ceasefire and that that puts too heavy a burden on Israel and is sort of tantamount in some people's eyes to have the right to defend itself. And so that statement, I don't know how much weight, if that carries an equivalent amount of weight rhetorically, like domestically or internationally, but that was an attempt to kind of I think, um, modify or refine the position of the UN resolution, which of course is just a big thing Canada had to vote along with and say, but this does not mean we are giving Hamas Mm. a pass. This is what we are calling on for the other side to do. Ryan, you've been writing about the splits within the Liberal Party on this. Um, If you take a look at that, but also what Catherine and Shannon have said broadly, do you think that this is a shift in Canada's foreign policy where the Middle East is concerned, or is this just a response to the moment? I think it might be more of a response to the moment. I think, you know, there was a genuine uh, desire to want to stand uh, shoulder to shoulder with Israel in the early days of this. That is harder to do the longer this war goes along. And it has nothing to do with, you know, it has everything to do with the situation on the ground. There are just mounting casualties. We are seeing the casualties of children uh, daily uh, on the news. And I think, you know, it, it speaks to the very terrible position that Israel is in all this conflict. Uh, this is they have to prosecute this war. They have to keep their own people safe. Uh, but they face this tremendous issue of uh, civilian casualties at the same time. Um, this is, you know, not a conflict that anyone would want to be engaged in. Uh, there are no winners here. Uh, and this unfortunate conflict is just going to continue to get worse, I think. Catherine, just the last point on this, and you talked a little bit about the divisions. Anthony Housefather, Liberal MP, uh, has said that he's very disappointed in Canada's UN vote. Uh, wouldn't answer whether he, you know, whether he can stay in the Liberal caucus. Um, so now is not the time to, to talk about this. You have the Israeli ambassador who said that Canada's uh, move uh, is naive. What sort of line is the Prime Minister walking here? An incredibly difficult one, um, both within his caucus and within uh, with with the public as well. I mean, I, I thought the, the point Shannon made earlier about um, the the pressures that MPs are facing, and of course, this, I mean, this is an incredibly difficult situation for so many people. And this is not to to, to say, oh, woe is the MP, but when you talk to people um, on, on any side of this stance, the what they tell you about the 
the emails and phone calls and just conversations they're having with constituents, I think wherever anyone else, wherever any MP finds himself on this issue, uh, many of them who are most deeply concerned about this feel that they cannot win, that they are being criticized by both sides, that the attacks feel incredibly personal. And you have to know that that certainly goes all the way up to the level of the prime minister. Um, I, I am told by some members of Liberal Caucus that they do feel that he's just genuinely wrestling with what is an incredibly difficult issue and, and trying to find um, the right position. But I mean, to say what the ultimate right position is, knowing that mm. uh, there, there's such passion on all sides of this, it, it, is, it is a struggle for the caucus. It is certainly uh, a struggle for the prime minister and, and one that is clearly not over. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of The Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at The Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Let's talk about other matters um, consuming Ottawa right now. Polling is, people will say, politicians love to say, the only poll that matters is the poll on election day. (laughs) And yet there are polls that come out constantly that show a number of things, including a poll released by Abacus Data from the Toronto Star saying the Conservatives are slipping slightly. Increased negative opinion of Pierre Polyev. Um, We'll start with you, Catherine, just briefly on this. What do you make of this? I think if the only poll that mattered was on election day, they wouldn't pay so much attention <laughs> privately to polls. Um, exactly. Listen, Matt, I, I would say uh, things were looking really terrible for the Liberals. Now, if you believe this particular poll, things just look bad. Um, less so if terrible? You're on a curve, that's it, less terrible. It, listen, it, it, it is a, a, a really big jump. Um, I think there will be an urge to assign a lot of meaning to it and to try to, you know, sort of sort through the tea leaves and say, this is what's happening and why. Um, there are a multitude of issues playing out right now. The Liberals still have a lot of challenges. So uh, I, I think we should just be wary of ascribing too much meaning to this particular poll. I will say, though, the Liberals do seem to have the wind in their sails Um perhaps with the issue of the Middle East aside, but more broadly in question period and whatnot. They look they, they look happier than I've seen them in a while. But again, mm. we're grading on a curve here. <laughs> Ryan, what's going on, do you think? <laughs> well, I mean, I think like Catherine said, let's not lose sight of the fact that uh, Pierre Polyev still has a 10-point national lead. Uh, that is pretty significant and, and would still put him probably maybe less comfortably, but would still put him in majority government territory. He leads in every region of the country and he leads with almost every generational group. Has he had, has he had a bad few weeks, though? I mean, there's been attention focused, pay what you will to social media, but attention focused on this vote, uh, part of the marathon series of votes around Ukraine, for example, where he, yeah. that was characterized by the liberals as voting against support for Ukraine. And the conservatives have said this is about um, a carbon tax and the issue of a carbon tax. Is that an issue? I, I think it is. I think he has had a a few weeks uh, that the Conservative Party would rather not have had. I think the votes on Ukraine. Uh, I understand their point, um, but when you are oper- when you are voting against very specifically in that overnight marathon, it was a vote on funding for Operation Unifier, and I know there is a broader picture there. Um, but the Liberals can truthfully say that the Conservative government voted against funding for Operation Unifier, uh, which is training troops in Ukraine. 
Um, and I think there have been a couple of other things. I think they've also been helped by, you know, three whole weeks in which the liberals have not had a bad week, uh, which is a streak that will have to be broken eventually. Um, so I, I think, you know, all of these have to be taken with a grain of salt. And I'll be interested to see if this trend continues into January. We've mm-hmm. seen Abacus's numbers yesterday. We saw Nano's numbers a week ago that started to show this. Um, I'll be interested to see what it looks like in January. Shannon, do you have are you taking this with grains of salt, perhaps more than a few grains of salt, a pinch of salt? Nothing has changed in the government metrics they they found. Um, people's opinions about the direction of the country, their approval rating of the government or the prime minister, their desire for change, none of that changed. What changed was negative impressions of Pierre Polyev and the Conservatives. That's what pushed, uh, I think it was a plus five, I'm sorry, minus five for the Conservatives, plus four for the Liberals right. and made for a huge change. And and where that is sort of happening is with people who say they're ready for a change, but uncomfortable with the alternatives. And so those people, what they would call sort of change voters, like people who are sort of casting around for where to park their vote, used to be tied between conservatives and liberals. And now there's a 16 point lead there for the liberals. So something is going on where there's sort of a I don't know if you can call it buyer's remorse when no one's bought anything and the election is two years away, but there was sort of a <laughs> sense of maybe people were parking a protest vote in these polls and something is going on, whether it's sustained, we don't know. That's where our handful of salt comes in, mm. where people are going, maybe I don't want to move over to the blue team. And the interesting thing is, I think over the sort of spring, summer, fall, when everyone was sort of tapping on the glass and going like, hello, liberals, are you still alive in there? Are you going to respond to this moment or your competitor in any way? I think their sense was that Polyev would be self-disqualifying. And if they gave him enough time, he would sort of show his true colors and the electorate would recoil in some way or the other. Now, that can be a very self-serving and kind of argument that kind of lets you be sort of lazy and wait out the moment. Mm. But um, it, as you said, they have had a rough few weeks, the Conservatives, and and maybe what we're seeing is that reflected in people's opinions. Catherine, what about the leader of the Liberal Party? This is the time of year-end interviews. And uh, mm. in one for La Presse, uh, the Prime Minister said, I'm staying. I still have a lot to offer. Um, he will be asked incessantly in those interviews at the end of this year, is he going to leave? Is he going to stay? How much of a liability is Trudeau himself come election time? I mean, are you surprised that already he's saying, I'm not going anywhere, that I'm here? I'm not surprised he's being asked. I mean, I, I will say, I don't know if anyone wants to know what the conversations really sound like inside the Ottawa bubble. But the question you just asked me is the question, in my opinion, that everyone has been talking about for months now, right? Is Justin Trudeau uh, more of a liability than a benefit mm. to the, the Liberal Party? It is a fascinating conundrum because Justin Trudeau is the modern Liberal Party. And of course, you know, it it is much bigger than that. But fundamentally, the brand is Justin Trudeau. He brought them back from third place. He's been in power for eight years. There's an obvious sense of fatigue, I think, with the public, with him. Um, And a sense, frankly, that people are just tuning him out at times. But the question becomes, well, if not Justin Trudeau, then whom? And also, is Justin Trudeau willing to step aside? How might this play out? He has been insistent for months now. I thought the, the cabinet shuffle in the summer in particular was uh, perhaps more important than what he was saying publicly, because why would you ever say, I mean, if, if he's going to make an announcement that he's leaving, mm. I don't think it's going to be with all due respect to La Presse, an excellent uh, institution and all of my colleagues. Th- th- he's unlikely <laughs> to do it in, a, in an interview. Like, oh, actually, you know what? You caught me. I, I'm <laughs> I've leaving. been thinking about it. <laughs> this is the time. Um, I thought it was the cabinet shuffle in the summer where he really did shake things up, uh, cause some some discontent among some liberals as he moved around some of the chess pieces. And I thought, well, you don't make all that trouble if you're not going to stick around. Now, that said, 
I don't think anyone could have predicted what a challenging uh, sitting we have had. Mm. You know, everything from India to the Zelensky visit, uh, the Yaroslav Honka situation, the Middle East. I mean, it, it, it is a being prime minister right now. I, it's difficult on any day, regardless of what political stripe you are. I do not think it has been a lot of fun the last few months. Um, but I do think right now he is determined to stay. The question is whether or not his colleagues are entirely behind him. Ryan, interesting, reading The Economist magazine, there's an interview with Mark Carney, former governor of the Bank of Canada, on the record in which he doesn't actually deny that he's interested in politics. What do you make of that? Oh, I mean, I, I think Mark Carney has been clear that he's interested in politics. He, he appeared at the Liberal Convention in support. He was certainly working the rooms there. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of liberals are thinking about the future beyond Justin Trudeau. There are certainly uh, cabinet ministers who have leadership aspirations. Um, but I think they all know that, that getting that leadership job uh, means Justin Trudeau letting it go. Uh, it, this can't be a, a Gretchen Martin situation where you audition for the job before someone is ready to leave it. Uh, that is not the situation we are in, at least not now. And I, it's hard to imagine um, the prime minister's polling numbers falling so far that he'd be open to a challenge from within a party that he has effectively built. Mm. Um, so, you know, I think... Um, many people are going to start thinking about their futures. I'm sure many people are already thinking about their futures and their future leadership aspirations. But the only person who will decide who the next leader is, is Justin Trudeau when he decides to step down. Catherine, very briefly on this, the only, uh, the other thing that he said in that, in that editorial board is that the election would be held in 2025, that it was still a few years away. That depends on the NDP and the supply and confidence deal. Is that deal holding? I think it is. I mean, I think the fact that they actually don't have a deal on a framework for pharmacare, which was supposed to be done by the end of this year, we haven't even seen the legislation tabled, let alone passed, tells you that the NDP is not in a rush to overturn this deal. In fact, the NDP delighted about the dental care announcement this week. Uh, they're feeling pretty good. Not a sense that right now they're ready to step away from the Liberals. Okay, so in the last two minutes, I'm going to ask you to gaze into your uh, crystal balls, uh, which I'm sure are elaborately festooned in front of you, and predict... <laughs> One thing that we will be talking about when it comes to national politics in 2024. Shannon Proudfoot, would you care to go briefly? Sure. I will gaze into my bedazzled crystal ball here. Um, I, I think what will be interesting to see is if the Liberals continue or start to, I guess, depending on your view, uh, respond better to the moment. They, they have looked kind of flat-footed, deer in the headlights for the last few months. I, I think the biggest boat they missed was responding to where the public was emotionally. Mm. And it will be very interesting sort of to see, is there still life in them? Is there still political smarts in them? Is there still game in the prime minister and um, in his caucus to respond better to the moment? Because it would be better for everyone if if this was, you know, sort of a, a real fight as opposed to just like roadkill and people standing over it triumphantly. Ryan, give us an, uh, an idea of, and again, predictions are tricky because we'll hold you to them. Uh, what will we no be talking about in 2024? I mean, I'm going to really take a cop out here and say that we're going to be talking about the economy and affordability because we've been talking about it all this year. And no politician wins anything if the economy is in terrible shape. Uh, the impact of what's happened this year could lead to a recession next year, could lead to layoffs, could lead to a worse situation for Canadians. Mm -hmm. If that is the case, this little bump that the Liberals have got uh, will disappear. Um, they will be blamed for the economy if it turns bad. Um, and so I am sure that is something we'll be focusing on. Catherine, very briefly, last prediction to you. 
I was going to take Ryan's cop out. Oh, very he's nice. right about the economy, but I, I will say, so I'll pick another one, which is uh, leadership, right? Both what we were talking about with Justin Trudeau and Pierre Polyev. Leadership. Their leadership is being put to the test, and I think we are definitely going to be talking about whether either of those men meets the moment in 2024. We will uh, review come 2024 and see if that's what we are indeed talking about. In the meantime, I'm glad to have you all here this morning. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Have a good day. And you, Catherine Cullen, host of CBC Radio's The House. Shannon Proudfoot is a feature writer with The Globe and Mail. And Ryan Tumulty reports for The National Post. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.